Right, so when I was a lame 17-year-old high schooler, my cool sister, okay, who was in a cool college, who lived in a cool apartment, at a pretty cool college. It wasn't Ohio State. I'll keep it secret. <laughs> she, uh, she invited me to come stay over the weekend because I was beginning to explore colleges. And I don't remember much from that time in my life, but I remember everything about that weekend. I, I remember the weather. I remember the food that we ate. I remember the sort of puke brown apartment complex that she lived in. It's puke brown? I don't know. But that's what came to mind, and that's a good thing. Um, I remember all the places she showed me, but I will, and I will also never forget sort of the evenings, because in the evenings, all of her friends would come over to her, her apartment. And what I would do as a 17-year-old high schooler is I would sort of pretend and do my best to blend in. And my goal, if I'm totally honest, was to make her friends think that I was a college student. <laughs> That was my entire life purpose that weekend. <laughs> so I dressed like it. I talked like it. I acted like it. And the whole time I was thinking, man, my high school friends are lame. High school is lame. Like, I'm over it, you know? It was a huge sort of moment in my life, and I remember it. But the truth is, if I'm totally honest, that weekend I was intimidated. I felt small. I felt really insecure. And I felt incredibly out of place. Have you ever felt that way? Because my wife and I feel this way all of the time. We feel it all of the time. I mean, we, uh, we live in Columbus. And Columbus is full of talented, smart, beautiful, competent people. People move to our city and to our neighborhood in order to advance in their careers And if I'm just being totally honest, it feels intimidating. We feel the pull to just sort of fit in like we're a high schooler at a college party. And maybe you know that feeling when, when you open your life to other people at work, when you open your life to other people in your neighborhood, and you think, I can't cut it. I can't cut it. And whether that's rooted in reality or not, it doesn't matter. I can't cut it. I'm not impressive. Well, that feeling of intimidation is going to help orient you to the book of 1 Corinthians. That feeling of intimidation, that temptation to want to just fit in is how Paul must have felt, the apostle must have felt when he walked into Corinth in 49 AD. When he walked into Corinth, he must have felt intimidated. Why do I say that? Because he says that. If you look at chapter 2, verse 3 with me in your open Bibles, you'll see him say this. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. To understand 
why Paul was intimidated in Corinth, I think it would be helpful for us to sort of back up and sort of acclimate ourselves to what we know about this ancient city. And then when we know some things about this ancient city, I think it will help you not only understand that verse that we just read, but to understand this letter as we walk through it section by section. Things are going to click. Things are going to turn on. You're going to be like, oh, okay, that's why there's an entire section in 1 Corinthians about food sacrificed to idols. You ever wondered that if you've read this letter? Like, what does that have to do with my life? Okay, we're going to understand things are going to start to click about why Paul sort of leans in at the very beginning to the cross and the foolishness of the gospel. So what can we learn and what can we know about the city of Corinth? Well, four things I want to just walk through in this introduction. The first is this. Know that ancient Corinth at the time when Paul came, 49 AD, was a very cosmopolitan city. Two things about that. Number one, it was an ancient hub of commerce and travel and trade. Okay, so take a look at where Corinth was located. Corinth is right here in the middle of the screen. And you notice that it's located right in that, what, what what's that called? Isthmus? Is that how you pronounce that? An isthmus? Okay. So that's where it's located. And so what you have to understand is that Corinth was an, a hub. It was a cross-section for the ancient world who wanted to travel and who wanted to trade. So get a bigger picture. That red dot there is exactly where Corinth is located. Notice something. If you lived in Rome or anywhere sort of west, the way that you got to the east, say Turkey, or perhaps the Near East, Israel, Lebanon, Jordan, and other things, if you were to go in that direction, you did not want to go under Greece, that landmass below the red dot. You wanted to go through that bay. Why? Because if you went under Greece, you hit rocky waters. So what happened was, Corinth became this trade city. It became this ancient hub that you had to sort of, by implication, pass through if you wanted to travel across. Some of you have traveled on airlines before and you do it a lot with your job. You know about hub airports. Hub airports are sort of, because of their location, it's where all the connecting flights happen. Well, in a seafaring culture, this was the greatest international hub. Apparently, for airports, Dubai is the greatest international hub. I didn't know that. I figured it would be Atlanta, but it's not. It's Dubai. It's Dubai. So similarly, Corinth was like a Dubai, where the whole world sort of converges in order to do their travel and trade. It was the hub of all hubs. In fact, if you were a sailor and you were going from east to west or from west to east or even from north to south, what would happen when you hit Corinth is you would you would dock your boat on port A, right? So the bottom of Corinth is one port and the top of Corinth is another port. It has like two coasts. This is like LA and New York City smashed together. Do you understand? So it is a cosmopolitan city. And what they would do is they would take your boat and they would drag it across this track from one port to the other. 
And so any given day, you're going to see all kinds of sort of construction happening because of this amazing cosmopolitan city. You're going to see all kinds of different kinds of people walking around with all kinds of different cultures and different um, different languages. And you're going to see people dragging ships across this track. Think of the energy. Think of the excitement that is in this ancient city. In fact, it is said that Athens, right? We think of Athens as sort of the ancient city where philosophy was born. Athens, it was said, was sort of this lame, boring, dying out city compared to Corinth. So not only was it a hub, but it was also because of that very, very pluralistic. There were temples everywhere. That's the remaining temple. They think it's the temple of, to Apollo. There was temples to Eskeplos, who was the god of health and wellness. And in fact, this temple, if you were there in the ancient world, it would have been much like a modern health spa is today. You went there not just to be healed of whatever physical ailment you had, but you also went into this place in order to be more well or more whole in other ways, too. So you slept there and you got rest there. That was the temple to Asclepius. There was a temple to Hera, the goddess of marriage and sex. There was a temple to Tika, the god of luck and fate. And so we know that the Corinth people were really attached to this idea of fate. And what it at least tells us is that if we think America is a melting pot, you have to understand that Corinth, in many ways, beat us to that punch. They were incredibly pluralistic. And what a great book to be exploring in our cultural moment then. Because Paul's going to be addressing some of your very same concerns about your neighbor's faith, about your coworker who is a good woman, a good man who believes something differently than you. And you're asking yourself, what on earth do I do with that? Okay, so this is going to be a timely letter. You're going to encounter situations where you're like, is this okay in my discipleship with Jesus to do this or to go along with this? And this letter is going to be pertinent to that question. Okay, so Corinth is uh, cosmopolitan. And this is why Paul, as we will see in a while, is going to spend a lot of time on meat sacrificed to idols. And you're going to discover that that discussion, which is later in 1 Corinthians, is going to have a lot to say about our posture in this cultural moment. Number two, though, uh, I said four things. Number two, Corinth was very competitive. As I said, Corinth is kind of like an L.A. and a New York City combined culturally. uh, and, And therefore, it is very competitive. Number one is a startup city. Because of the trade and the wealth, people went there to make it big. It was a happening place. Okay, when I graduated from college, all of my friends who were ambitious, they moved to like one of four places. Los Angeles, New York City, Nashville, and then the surfers went to San Diego. But they all went to these places because they thought Oxford, Ohio didn't have it for them, right? And we all sort of know this feeling. We want to be where it's at. 
And that's exactly what is happening in the ancient world with Corinth. If you were ambitious, if you were competitive, if you wanted to succeed, if you wanted to win, if you wanted to be at the top, you had to go to Corinth. You understand? So this will make sense to you why Paul has so much to say about the cross and the power of God, which is foolishness to a competitive culture. It's going to it's going to the light bulb is going to go off. It was a games city. So we all know about the Olympic Games. The second highest games was called the Isthmian Games. And these games happened every two years. And this was like the second biggest gaming event. Women competed in it. Men competed in it. Gladiators, you know, Mortal Kombat, that kind of stuff. That was happening kind of at its peak while Paul was planting a church in Corinth. Uh, okay, so they were like, there were just all kinds of competition. Who is powerful? Who is winning? You know what I mean? That is what's happening. Does that sound familiar? Am I describing, you know, the United States in 2019? Or am I describing Corinth in the year 49? It's hard to tell sometimes. It was a very competitive Culture, And this is why Paul is going to spend so much time talking about it. If you just look at chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly. It's folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those, to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay? Paul is looking square at a competitive culture, much like ours, and is saying, the cross is turning that all upside down. And that is the power of God. It's amazing. Corinth was competitive. Corinth, thirdly, was a celebrity culture. All right? Yes, I'm still describing Corinth. Corinth was a celebrity culture. So, okay, if it's cosmopolitan, if it's competitive, it wouldn't surprise you that they all had a celebrity complex. When somebody rose to the top, everybody adored them. Sound familiar? Okay. Sound familiar? Um, Two things make this a celebrity culture. Number one, it was a self-made culture. So uh, New Testament scholar Ben Witherington, he says that the inhabitants of Corinth all suffered from escape humble origin syndrome. So let's put it this way. What we know is that Corinth wasn't an old money city. It was a new money city. And we know what that means. Everybody wanted everybody else to know that they were successful. In fact, we have this incredible uh, sort of uh, archaeological find called the Babius Monument. The Babius Monument is sort of this, uh, this monument where Babius, this man Babius, had his name plastered all over it. It was on an ancient building. And Anthony Thistleton, he says that Babius probably rose from the ranks of the nouveau rich or the the new rich and was determined to leave his mark on the city and his name for posterity. This is like sort of an ancient Trump Tower. Right? When you walk into the city, what do you see? My name. Okay? And so what's going to happen is... In thousands of years, when people look at our culture, they're going to see a bunch of names of people who are saying to the rest of the world, I am on top. 
It's exactly what's happening in Corinth. It was a it was a sort of a celebrity culture because it was self-made culture. It was also a spin culture. And this is going to be very important when Paul talks about his speech. Okay, so it was a spin culture. We know the, uh, that Paul spent a lot of time preaching the gospel in, in this letter, 1 Corinthians, without flair. Without much flair. He just sort of says, I came in here and I just preached Christ crucified. I didn't have all this amazing speech. Why would he say that? Because he's talking to a culture who did not value truth and speech, but valued entertainment and speech. Yeah, I'm still talking about Corinth, okay? So Neil Postman said this about our culture. Neil Postman said that we are amusing ourselves to death. We don't seek truth anymore. We seek entertainment. Corinth was a celebrity city. And this is why Paul is going to be talking so much about how upside down the kingdom is compared to the world. How the unimpressive, united to Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit, is glorious. The unimpressive, like a Roman cross, is power and glory. And then a community centered around and shaped like that cross in the midst of a celebrity culture. People who are entertaining not the upward mobility march, but the downward mobility march in order to lay down their lives for others is power and glory. I said four things. Here's the fourth thing Corinth was. It was a complacent city. We know that Corinth was a spin culture. We know that uh, Corinth was a, therefore a celebrity culture and a competitive culture. And we know that, that, that Corinth was a cosmopolitan culture. Because of all those things, when you sort of mix them together, it turned this city, this ancient city, into a complacent culture. They had everything. It was just amazing sort of uh, melding of time and place where they had everything. They were self-sufficient. So the first thing that you would see when you were walking into Corinth, what Paul would probably see is this. That is a complex of fountains. And you have to understand in a, in a cultural moment where water was scarce, like this is them saying to the world, we have what we need. Thank you very much. We are good, okay? And beyond water, they had bronze. They had all kinds of things that they, that they that not only they could use for themselves, but also export to the world. They had trade, as we said. They had a travel industry. I mean, every two years, think about this. Think, think about the, the Super Bowl coming to Columbus, Ohio, and sort of competing in the shoe every two years. What that would do to our city. Think about that. I mean, we, we get all excited about the Arnold Classic, okay? Think about the Super Bowl, okay? The Super Bowl is sort of on par with what would, what it would have been like for these games, these Isthmian games, every two years. Think about the travel industry. Think about all the hotels that would pop up. Think about all the culture. Think about all the pride we would have. And think about this. We would say, Columbus, you got to live here. 
We have everything. And more than that, Corinth was a Roman colony. Which means, which means it had order. And it had protection. And it had structure. And so, man, these are the two things that when combined in our lives too, create complacency. We have everything we think we need. And we have safety and order. And when those two things combine, you have a culture much like ours where we sort of are like, God, who needs God? Unless God can sort of supplement my vision of a good life, who needs him? Okay, because they had everything. And so do we. So do we. Corinth was complacent. And all this adds up. And then it makes sense that Paul would be intimidated as he walks into this ancient city. Scholars and students of the text see verse 3 of chapter 2 and they scratch their head and they're like, why was he intimidated and afraid? But when you sort of understand the cultural moment and the context, also know this, Paul is coming from Athens and he's walking towards Corinth and he sees in the horizon what's called the Acrocorinth, which is this big mountain. And on top of that is a temple protecting everybody, so they think. And he sees the fountain. He walks down the road and he sees all these shops with people like Priscilla and Aquila selling leather goods. And why would they be making tents? And why would Paul join them in making tents? Because when people travel to see a cool city, they need somewhere to stay. Before Airbnb, you would go to Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, and you would get your tent. And he's walking in, he's seeing these impressive people, these beautiful people, these competitive gladiators walking around. He'd see these buildings, he'd see these temples, he'd see the marketplace, and he is like scarred. He's been preaching the gospel for like 10 years, 15 years. He's been beaten, thrown in jail. Uh, All accounts say that he was small and diminutive in stature, unimpressive in every way. Some think that he had eye issues, like he couldn't see very well. Because he says about the church, you would gouge your eyes out for me and give them to me. That's how much you loved me. Okay, so here's a man who's beat down. He's, he's just beat down. And he walks into this impressive ancient city. It makes sense that he would be afraid and intimidated. What does he do? Does he try to blend in like I did in high school with my sister? No. That's exactly the opposite of what he does. He leans into the cross of Christ. And everything he says and does and encourages them and therefore us to do is cross-empowered, cross-centered, cross-shaped. He will call it the way of love. And maybe you've been to a wedding where someone has riffed on this passage in 1 Corinthians about love. Well, let me just say really quick, this love that Paul is talking about is not romantic love primarily. It's not even mushy love primarily. What it is, is it is a cross-shaped, I'm dying for the sake of the other kind of love. It is a cross-shaped 
love. How on earth, you might be thinking, are these competent people who have everything they need, who are at the top of everything, who are building buildings in their name, who have money, shelter, all their needs, how are these people going to respond to a loser Lord? A Lord of the universe who died shamefully on a cross. And he might have thought, I give up. They're not going to respond. Nothing's going to happen. And he might even, we don't know, have wondered, because I certainly do in my ministry. Can anything break through a people who have everything they need? What does Paul do? Well, we can read. We'll start in verse 17. And this is how we'll end. Verse 17 of chapter 1. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul says, okay, here I am. I'm intimidated, but that's what Jesus told me to just proclaim the cross. And not with words of eloquence, because that would just cater to these folks and what they would expect. It would probably muddy the message anyway. For the word of the cross, he says, is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? As he looks around. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. What he's saying is everything that I'm preaching actually does contradict and go against the culture of Corinth. But when the Holy Spirit gets involved, verse 24, those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen? Amen? I mean, that is why we're here. We have everything we think we need outside this building. But when we're here, we are reminded that Jesus is the power. His cross is our salvation. And he turns everything upside down in our life. In fact, scholar Ben Witherington, he says, in a city where social climbing was a major preoccupation, Paul's deliberate stepping down in apparent status would have been seen by many as disturbing, disgusting, and even provocative. But Paul says, verse 28, 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. Listen to these words. When God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption, all that is tied into our salvation, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are inundated by wealthy and visions of wealth, by success and visions of success, all around us, ourselves included. We fit right in in Corinth. My wife and I and our family, we fit right in in Corinth. We have everything we need. We've been given a good education. As uncomfortable as it makes me, I can I can wine and dine with the greatest. I think I could. I've seen enough masterpiece theater shows. <laughs> so we all have a choice. We can try and blend in, like I did in college or in high school. Or we can lean into the cross. Because that is where power is located. When you walk the way of love, there is power. When you decide to lay down status, build up another person there's power when you speak with your words the message of hope in Jesus who died on a cross though he was lord of all creator of everything there's power and so we have a choice we can tap into our self-sufficiency or like Paul we can be fools We will carry weak, despicable, losing, dying to self crosses into our workplace, into this church, into our home groups. And the Spirit will do that for us. And with Paul. And my hope is at the end of this study in 1 Corinthians, as we walk section by section through it, we will be boasting, not in ourselves, but with Paul in the Lord. Lord, we do ask that you would powerfully move in this community. That we would be in this world, but not of it. That we would be in the PTA meetings and the community meetings and we would be in positions of, of, of influence and authority. We would be in positions of service in this community. We would be informed. We would be knowledgeable. That we wouldn't be a monastic community set apart so that people don't know our names or hear our laughter or taste our food. 
uh, we pray that we would be in this world. But Lord, we would pray that by your spirit and by your grace, we would not be of it. That we would not be known as a competitive church. That we would not be known as a sort of, a, sort of a climb to the top church. But instead, we would be known as a climb to the bottom church. So as to serve those and proclaim and boast in your sufficiency. That's our prayer. Would you be good to us in the next months when we walk through this letter? Help us understand and shape us like the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.